Welcome to episode number 39 of the Fiduciary You podcast. I took a little hiatus from the show for the past couple of months to enjoy the summer with my family and to re-energize. Uh, I've been super busy with Fiduciary X as it continues to catch fire with retirement plan advisors. But now I'm back and I've got some great shows lined up over the coming months, starting with today's guest, the one and only Sherry Fitz. Now, when it comes to financial services, sales, and marketing, Sherry is a gifted speaker, consultant, and creator, and I always enjoy learning from her and rapping with her. One of the things I love about Sherry is her energy and her passion for connecting emotional intelligence and digital influence, what she calls digital EQ, really comes through in this episode. We focus a lot of our conversation on the human aspect of financial services and how we communicate with our clients and our prospects. We chat about the power of storytelling, how and why advisors need to get super clear about their purposes and values, why vulnerability is a superpower but it can't be hacked just for social media purposes, and why first impressions matter so much, plus much, much more. So I hope you enjoy the show with Sherry Fitz, and it's good to be back with you. Sherry Fitz, welcome to the Fiduciary You podcast. I'm so pumped about hey. our conversation today. I think this is the third time, right? We try, we started the third time. I'm so excited. It's been a while, Josh. Yay! It has. It has. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, you're going to Burning Man uh, next week. So I was hoping that this was going to be like the highlight of your week, but I, I, I'm okay <laughs> with second place. Yeah, this is pretty good, though. This is this is pretty good. I was really looking forward to it. Um, yeah. And yeah, on Thursday, though, I, I leave the as I say to people, I leave the planet for 10 days. Right. Yeah, right. Just make sure you come back, Sherry. Just make sure you come. I'm back. coming back. I got it all planned. I got places to go. People, trouble to cause. That's it. That's it. Right. Conversations to facilitate. So, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you are somebody that I we've known each other for a long time, um, but I've had a, just a tremendous amount of respect um, for you over the years. Um, you know, in terms of of what you do, what you communicate, you just get it. I think it's, it's awesome. Um, you know, I love seeing kind of powerful, successful women in the industry kind of, you know, making noise and, 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 um, you know, creating value. It's, it's, you know, a lot of times people think of the financial services world as, you know, it's more of a guy's world, but, um, you, you have a really interesting background. You've done a lot, um, you know, you, as, as we were prepping for this, <laughs> we talked about, especially around technology, totally. that you were two to five years early. But, you know, even your story of going back to the 90s and how you, you kind of fell into the industry and the things that you've done and the different roles and responsibilities. Why, why don't we start there? Why don't you give just yeah. kind of a brief recap of, you know, how cool. has Sherry Fitz gotten to where she is today? What's, what's part of the story? of your journey and, and that story. Yeah. Um, so I, here's what I'll say. My father was a computer programmer in the seventies. So he had his own computer programming firm, in fact, in Eugene, Oregon. And then we moved from Eugene, Oregon to Corvallis, Oregon, where he went to work for a global now global engineering firm, CHM Hill. Some people will know that firm. And I used to go with my dad and hang out with him when he would be programming the computer 
which would be size like the, of my office right now. And I don't know if you ever saw those computer punch cards, Josh. Did you ever yeah. see those? those Wait, right? I mean, I, I saw them on like, you know, when I watch a documentary of like Bill Gates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually it. have, I actually actually used to make holiday wreaths out of them, roll them in a cone shape, staple them, glue them, you know, and spray paint them gold. Really Your creative streak started, right, started, your creative <laughs> exactly. streak started early, Sherry. Yep. So I, I say that because I'm, I, what I'm really, you know, I have a couple things to thank my father for. And one of them is I'm not afraid of technology. The other one is that I can rock a really good headstand. Allah, you know, in yoga, I was just a superb headstand. And the other one was he had me go to Toastmasters, the adult level Toastmasters in eighth grade. So um, I got into the world of design and graphic design in the early 90s when design was becoming computer-aided design. So it was when, to usually, like, produce a newsletter, usually people would have to get a typeset, and then there were these things called blue lines, and this revolutionary software called PageMaker came out and it changed everything. I'm sure that you've probably heard the term desktop publishing. So um, I, I came into the world of graphic design when stuff was changing, like huge things were changing. People were going out of business and stuff was happening, right? And that was also the time, probably four years later, that I went to work for an investment consulting firm. And I joined because I was a single mom. And I wanted to be able to have access to the financial services world and know what was going on. So I brought my skill set of digital into that environment to create participant education and communication materials. That's how I kind of crossed over my design world with this financial services world. Fast forward to 1998 and those materials that we were creating, I was this de facto head of the department now because people had left and I had no salesperson and it, it dawned on me, if people, if we don't sell, we, I, we won't have a job, this team that I had. And so I got into sales and that's how I got into marketing was because I had something, I had a, I had a sales goal. Um, and essentially I was selling to about 250 record keepers at the time, the second tier record keepers, regional banks, right? Folks who did not have an education and communication team embedded in their organization. And, and the thing that happened for me at that time was, this 1998, I did not have a marketing budget. My boss was the kind of person who could just pick up the phone and call Phil Knight and say, yo, dude, you know, he could call anybody. So he thought marketing was a bad word. And so no budget, sales goal. I just used digital. I mean, I just used what I had in front of me. So I started doing email marketing in 1998. Email marketing in 1998, because that's all I had, right? I had an email list. Isn't it funny though, Josh? Like it's still an email list, by the way, open loop. An email list is the most valuable thing still that an advisor can have. Um, so that's how I got into marketing uh, is always through the sales channel and as a marketer, my favorite place to be is embedded inside a sales team. I mean, I love to sell. I'm, sales is what makes things happen in an organization. 
people send me their kids who are getting a degree in marketing. And the first thing I say to them is get a job in sales. <laughs> right? right. So um, that's how kind of I got to, to the, the world of financial services. I've worked for a provider here in Portland, Oregon. I've worked for an institutional consulting firm when I started. I've worked for a bank. I've worked for a large broker dealer. And uh, then in 2012, I got my AARP card in the mail in 2011. And I don't I said, believe, I don't believe it. Fooey. Yeah. Well, I've just publicly announced in my newsletter that I'm 60. So 60, <laughs> let me just tell you this. I'm only halfway done, right? I'm only halfway done. So, um, and I thought to myself, I've always wanted to be a speaker and do my own thing. And if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? And so I left corporate America on purpose to start my firm. And I've, you know, been in and out of commitments um, to my firm or, you know, to the Borg. And so, yeah, that's how I ended up here. As really, a, re really reinvented yourself. Yep. Yep. That's the fun part. I mean, that's what's cool about this industry is it does force us to reinvent ourselves on an ongoing basis because if the market doesn't do it for us, right, um, pull the rug out from underneath us, then, you know, the SEC or the DOL or Congress, right, they do it for us, change things all around all the time. And that's, I would say, one of the things um, that advisors don't realize is because these annuitized businesses, which are great, right? Recurring revenue, but it's mm -hmm. easy to become complacent in our relationships. And, you know, the, the reality is that, you know, advantages get competed away over time. And I think this will tie into what we, what we talk about uh, through the rest of the podcast, but that, you know, advisors in particular, if, if, um, you know, if you're standing still, you're actually losing ground. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of whether it's through uh, being able to uh, leverage things that allow you to stay, you know, one or two or three steps ahead, but this con continual evolution. And a lot of that is, you know, if we think about like wisdom and, and kind of ancient wisdom, it sticks around, but a lot of times you have to put it in a different voice, a different narrative a different approach. And, and one of your things like is this digital EQ that you talk about, um, right? Which I think you, you, you say is the, the cross section between emotional intelligence and digital influence. So maybe talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that. Um, and it, it's very rooted in, I think, behavioral economics as well. You know, my contention is that, you know, that is the next, and, and partly it ties into like what I'm doing with Fiduciary RX now, which is really a, a platform to, you know, visualize and gamify the retirement consulting process. Um, and, and, you know, it's stories, it's narratives, it's our ability to communicate with people that, that ultimately is what captures their hearts and minds. And when we can capture the hearts and minds of people, now we can begin to drive influence and change. And we talk so much about out being like delivering outcomes, but you know, you, you have to be able to visualize and really re-energize and reimagine and redefine 
what that looks like. Um, and advisors need to stop resting on like, hey, I've got this relationship and it's going to be like this forever and really start to push themselves to how do I, instead of standing still and losing ground, it's like inflation. Like I may put my money in my mattress. I don't feel like I'm losing money, but if inflation's going up, your purchasing power is losing. I think your influence, if you're not continuing to push up um, uh, the envelope, you're actually getting like relational inflation that you're not Ooh, aware golly. of. I might have to use that, right? Damn. Yeah. Right. I'm glad you're recording this. So talk Woo! a little bit about digital EQ. Like, what is that? Yeah. Why do advisors, really anybody in our business, but especially advisors, why do they need to tap in and embrace this concept of digital EQ? Well, let me just say also that um, I had a chance to hang out with you, I don't know, a couple of months ago after Napa, like, and we talked about your, your, your fiduciary RX and I was an immediate fan and I love to find out what's happening in the industry just because um, that's crucial to me as an, ex you know, what, what you say about relational, like, you know, inflation or whatever, what you just said. Um, I, I want to know what's going on in the industry because the more that I can stay in touch with that, the, the more valuable I am for my clients. And I loved Fiduciary RX for the perspective of how you have made it so elegantly simple. I think um, when I introduced you to a couple of folks on email, I think I used elegantly simple it, it and, and I, and I love that. So back to the digital EQ component, you're absolutely right. It came from a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this, which is very much how I process things. I actually think, you know, in a former life I quilted because I feel like what I do all the time is take ideas and quilt them together to create something different. So digital EQ is emotional intelligence intersected with digital influence. And when you think about those two skill sets, they're like crucial for anybody to have right now in particular. It's not you should have emotional intelligence. No, you must have emotional intelligence if you want to build a trusting relationship with your clients. I mean, you know, it's it, trust not, is it's not simply a nice to have. No, uh, uh, trust is our currency. Trust is our currency. And so having emotional intelligence, being able to understand, uh, you know, where, where you are as a being and, you know, what emotions you're feeling, it doesn't mean you have to be feeling great all the time. It's just understanding where you are, but then also curiosity and empathy and working to try to understand the person who's across the table from you or across the video monitor from you. Like, let's just up our empathy. So, and to your point, behavioral economics tells us over and over and over again, people make decisions based upon emotions. People make decisions based upon emotions. They do. Yet, when we think about committees or even think about ourselves, we tend to forget that. We, we, we study, we learn, you know, behavioral economics and we apply that to participants and we understand, you know, the idea of, of trying to get people to save more and inertia and all of the things that get in their way. And yet those same concepts apply to us in our lives 
and our committee members and our vendors and whoever it is, you know, and our spouses, right? Emotions drive decisions. We are not logical beings with an emotional tendency. We are emotional beings with a logical tendency every once in a while. So you take that emotional component, right? And then you think about where we are now. Digital influence. That's all the things like that's like as an example, social selling LinkedIn. That's how you show up in the digital sphere across the camera from folks. That's what your website looks like. That's thought leadership. Those are, that's all the, if emotional intelligence is the inside, then digital influence is the outside. And you have to have oh, both of those. That. I love that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just continuing to um, beat that digital EQ drum. And it really came from a project of uh, about 18 months ago or so, Josh, I started to think about rebranding because I hadn't rebranded since I started my business. Yet what I was offering to the marketplace was a completely different and you know, frankly, I was kind of probably hiding behind, you know, an old brand. And so I started to try to really focus on what is it that I bring to the marketplace. And obviously digital is a component of, you know, the drum that I beat for us to kind of use. Um, but so is the emotional components and the heart component. So it, it just dropped in. I was walking the dog, dropped in. That's such a woo-woo term. I was walking the dog and I'm like, what is it that I do? I help people with their virtual intelligence. No, I don't. I help them with their digital intelligence. No, I don't. I help them with their digital emotional intelligence. Yes, I do. And that's how it happened. <laughs> yeah, that's how it happened. And so talk a little bit about, um, and I love that iterative you know, you're a creator. I'm a builder, maker, creator. And, and I, I, I find that I follow a similar, similar um, you know, uh, path that you do. You know, there, it usually isn't just one eureka moment. It is a, uh, it's usually an iterative process. It's like a refining process and the ability to synthesize different streams together and then and it sounds like that's, you know, as you were walking the dog, you know, and I, I would imagine it wasn't just, you know, one aha, you know, 30 minute walk with the dog out on the trail. This was probably, you know, took time and kind of refine. Uh, and, and till you finally hit that moment of like, oh, this is it. And then it's a matter of, okay, let's, let's, let's unearth more of like, what does that actually mean? What, yeah. can, what can advisors in particular, um, like, what does that process look like when you work with your clients and, and what can advisors in particular do? Because it, 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 there's this both inner work and outer work you can have and, and, and they need to go together. We talked about before we started recording is like you can try the social game, but if you don't have some of the foundational, if you, you have a website that, you know, is embarrassing or you don't have some systems in place around email you talked about like an, an email list is gold if you don't have your email systems aligned with both what you're presenting to the world but then how you stay connected in those relationships ongoing you, you're you're kind of putting the cart before the horse so what can advisors like how should they be thinking about this like in really actionable real world 
Like, how do you get in touch with your, your digital EQ and what does it look like to implement that philosophy? Well, so, you know, the, the one thing, so Josh, I was speaking at a broker dealer retirement plan advisor conference last week and I only had 50 minutes, but I wanted to kind of get to, I was doing a, I was actually doing a website review of four different advisor websites. Um, but I wanted to lay some groundwork and I didn't really have a lot of time. But what I said to them is if I had all day, the first question I would ask you is what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and in my mind, I think what happens is when we start a business, we, you know, we got to have all, we got to have business cards. You know, we used to need to have envelopes and letterhead. Don't know why. Right. And, you know, we had a logo and we did all those things that we think proves we're in business. Uh, and it, chances are we haven't necessarily looked at that in a long time. But if so, the the inside work, to your point, the inside work of asking yourself, why are you still in this industry? Why does it bring you joy? Why do your clients trust you? All of those kind of questions are actually really good questions to have, because if you go out into the digital world and start yapping and you don't have a really solid, almost like aligned brand or purpose, it, it's going to fall apart. So that's the first thing I think advisors need to do is if I were to counsel anybody and everybody, it's take, take a couple hours and just remember why you're here. Like, Remember, I know this is crazy, but your wife's a yoga teacher. Remember your dharma. Like, remember your purpose in life, right? Because then, um, then as you start to imagine what your business can be like and who you serve, then it all kind of comes together a little bit easily. And yes, to your point, I think when websites first started happening, right? I coded my first website in 2003. We just took our brochure, remember brochures? We used to have those. And we, and then we just like stuck it on the website and made it electronic. And then that was that. Now a website is definitely more than that. And usually what happens is somebody's referred to you, they Google your name and then voila, you are who Google says you are. And so, um, you know, a lot of advisors will sheepish, sheepishly tell me they, their website embarrasses them or their LinkedIn profile, don't look at my LinkedIn profile. And then I'm like, I'm the last person you should be worried about, but people are looking at that all the time and forming an opinion of you, digital influence they're forming an opinion of you so you gotta clean that up yeah there's you like know, a you gotta clean that up they're going where they're they're mm -hmm. they're spying on you if you will before yep. you even know it and and you know that would be an interesting thing for advisors that are that say i'm kind of embarrassed by my website or whatnot is how many operative how many potential convert because everything starts with a conversation how many yep. potential conversations are you losing out on because that first, that emotional reaction, that first time they checked you out, you know, it's kind of like, you know, what is that? I, I don't live in this world, but you know, the, the, the dating apps where you can swipe left or swipe, swipe right. Right. If they don't like yeah. what they see 
are they, I don't know which direction if you don't like what you see. Neither do I. But whatever <laughs> it is. Um, somebody no, tell us. Right, exactly. Um, is somebody swiping the wrong direction because their first impression of you didn't yeah. connect with them? 50, it's not a 10 second rule. It's a 50 millisecond rule. 50 millisecond rule. Here's the fascinating thing about this. I love to geek out about this. Your optic nerve, by the way, goes straight to your reptilian brain. Because, right, You, we have to be able, we're visual creatures. We have to be able to know immediately if you're a tiger or if you're, you know, a teenager, right? Which both are just as scary depending on the time. But, you know, but so... People judge you even before they know they're judging you. And then they People... probably spend the time after that. I think the research is clear. They spend yeah. the, the rem- like after that, they will validate in their mind, right. like what their first impression was. Right. Then they pull in their prefrontal cortex and then they kind of say, well, he's not for me because he's in Ohio. I only do business with advisors in Iowa or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So. Um, so a website doesn't necessarily, uh, need to, to, you know, look like Amazon or, you know, pick one, but, but it certainly needs to look like who you are and who you serve for sure. And it just is, yeah, help tell your story. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. One of the things, you know, at, at my prior firm that we did is, you know, when we co-founded the firm, like we had a set of core values, um, but we, mm-hmm. we put in place in 2016 a strategic plan. We had an advisory board um, that we had had since we started the firm, which was really valuable to us. And we'd gone through a period of a lot of growth and success. And in 2016, early 2016, um, we had an advisory board meeting and we were kind of like bringing everybody up to speed on, you know, what we had done. And they were like, this is great. Like, how are you gonna continue like, where do you take it from here? And it was like the cobbler's kids had no shoes. We were like, well, we kind of think we're going to do, keep doing what we're doing. And they're like, well, what's your strategic plan? And we're like, uh, we don't really have one. So the takeaway was like, hey, we need to develop a strategic plan. And we hired a really good consultant who kind of came in and helped us develop that. It was game changing for us. But one of the most important things he did was he led us through a process of, defining our core purpose, which was why we existed, which we already had, but we had to refine it and our core values. And we came up with Mm -hmm. these five really unique core values. Our core purpose was to improve lives by helping people make better decisions for themselves and those who depended on them. And so, (laughs) you know, whether that was a retirement committee that was making decisions for their company, but for their employees who depended upon them, or whether that was an employee who came into my office and they were having a personal issue and I could counsel them or whether one of us was sitting on the board of a nonprofit and bringing our gifts and our abilities to help them impact, you know, the constituency that they served. And we developed that core purpose. And then those five core values, which was, while the core purpose was why we existed, the core values were how we chose to live in you know, our firm and with the people that we served. And we came up with five really unique kind of memorable, not just platitudes on a wall, like integrity or excellence. Um, you know, we, we came up with things like love your neighbor, right. To serve others and to master your craft and 
um, uh, or to have a bias towards action or to own your stuff, to take responsibility. What was so powerful about that is that then began, we weaved that into how we would talk about our firm and what we did. It transformed how we had conversations with employees. If I, if, if for instance, you know, I wasn't taking responsibility for something I did or did not do. Somebody could have a conversation with Josh, you need to own your stuff. Or if somebody was being selfish, you know, um, we could have a conversation around like, is that loving your neighbor? Are you putting the interests really kind of the fiduciary story? Are you putting the interests of that person, that client, that colleague, that business partner ahead of yourself and serving them? Or is it the other way around? And it's just interesting that got embedded in our website that got embedded in our, our vernacular. Um, it's how we, we describe what and, we life changing. And I, I'm thinking probably Josh, that that probably got embedded in your pitches. hundred percent. Right? hundred Because and imagine how meaningful that is to a committee. I, I mean, we, as, as human beings, we aspire to more when we, we just do. And um, from a committee's perspective, if they have an advisor team that comes in and says, this is why we exist. This is how we serve. This is who we are. This is how we hold ourselves accountable. And this is how we hold ourselves accountable to you. Yeah. Like this is how we measure ourselves and make certain that we're meeting our obligations to you and to your employees. Holy smokes. Committees are going to just like totally eat that up. We used to call it totally, yeah. our promises and doing what we said we're going to do. We're making yep. promises to you. It's yep. our responsibility. And, and you're making promises to your people. So there's this mutual uh, accountability. Mm-hmm. You need to hold us accountable mm-hmm. to do what we said we're going to do. We need to hold ourselves accountable to do what we said we we're going to do. But we're going to hold you accountable to doing the things that we know are actually going to impact and influence your people that it's going to impact not just them, but, but generations uh, of people that depend on them. It's a very different way. And, and I think the other element there is when you can do this, and again, this goes back to fiduciary RX, but in, you know, especially retirement advisors spend all their time looking backwards mm-hmm. as opposed to, I think you mentioned it a few minutes ago, People just in general, there's a huge market for self-improvement. Like everybody wants to improve. They want to get better. And so advisors need to, instead of talking about what has happened in the past, it's more about beginning to cast vision around where the advisor wants to take their clients based on shared priorities and goals, and then present a very clear, actionable um, repeatable and demonstrable way of here's how we're going to get you from where you are to where we want to take you based on what we've come to agreement with over time. And that, and that is a, um, a crucial storytelling skill set that you just mentioned, right? Where you are now, where we can help you go, where you are now, where we can help you go. That's a, that's a, a way of really bringing people into a story. Here's the one thing though, that really struck me, Josh, is that by establishing early in your relationship with a plan sponsor, that as an advisor, you hold yourself and your team accountable in these ways, right? And this is how you're going to hold the committee accountable in these ways. 
in my mind, what that does is allow for different conversations mm. and not just constantly being worried that the committee's going to fire you because you can point back to the agreement that you had on holding yeah. each other accountable based upon, you know, who you are and how they, they hired you for that reason, whatever. In my mind, I feel like it changes the dynamic and that no longer is the committee here and the advisor here, right? It's just that your peers and you're working to serve their employees in a particular way and how you all together are going to hold yourself accountable. So right. I think it's phenomenal. And to your point, vision, indeed. And bringing people along um, and sharing a story about what can be is, you know, is an essential component of a really good finalist presentation. And it's, you know, it, it takes having some emotional intelligence um, it, to be able to kind of begin to learn the craft of storytelling and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I'm a fan. You know, I'm a fan of you. I mean, I've, we, you, you, you got to say it at the beginning, but right back at you. I, you, know what, um, you know what else it does, which I think is incredibly powerful. The goal of business is not to work with everybody. The goal of exactly. business is to find the right mm -hmm. people to work with. And so what this allows you to do as well is there will be prospects that don't connect with Good. your vision, your story. And better to know that some of the greatest advice we got when we started our firm back in 2004 uh, from a mentor of ours in the industry is he said, never take on a client, no matter how much they're willing to pay you, that if you get even an inkling that in five years, when they pick up the phone and try to call you, you're not going to want to answer. And so that really Oof. helped guide us as well in terms of, I want to know very early on in the sales process, do I feel like this prospect and I are closely aligned? Because if we're closely aligned, we'll make magic together. But if not, if I feel like they're not bought into what I believe or how I can help them, then we're going to be banging heads against each other. And it's not going to be like one of the ways I try to live my life now is I try to categorize whether this is relationships, whether this is business, whether this is personal, whether this is activities I'm going to do. Is this life giving to me or is this life taking? And there are this clients. Is sucking. Yes. That can be life taking oh. and they're not, they are not worth it. The goal is as quickly as possible. Find out those relationships that you feel like are going to be life-giving and then double down on that. Don't yep. try to, don't try to, to sell the unsellable or convince the unconvincible. It's not worth it. You're probably not going to be successful. And I guarantee you, you that's not going to be a relationship that um, you want to invest in. My marketing God is Seth Godin. Okay. My mar marketing God is Seth Godin or as you have, better hair, says, you have better hair than Seth Godin. Let me just say that. Seth Godin. Yeah. He's got better glasses. So Seth Godin says in his book, which is, I love this book, the Icarus deception. And essentially he, he says that people are afraid of flying too high because we've heard that myth that don't fly too high. The fact is, is that there were two parts to that myth. Don't fly too high. You'll get too close to the sun. Your wings will melt you'll plummet to the earth and surely die. His father also told him, don't fly too low. Mm -hmm. 
you because your wings will take. You never hear that part. You never hear that part, right? So Seth Godin tries to get people listen. Screw the don't fly too high. Fly as high as you want. Um, be as different as you want. You don't need a lot of people. I mean, and and what he's trying to say is, you know, I think the numbers of social make everybody think that you have to have a massive amount of followings and da 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 da. Right. What you need, to your point, Josh, is you need clients that want to do good work alongside you, mm. right? That's what you need. And that. so be as different as you can be in order to scare people away, frankly, right? I'm not, um, I, you know how people, people look like their dogs, um, supposedly, and I keep trying to figure it out. In fact, I saw this woman the other day. She was walking two adorable, tiny little curly redheaded you know, toy poodles, tiny little ones. They're adorable. And she just had kinky, curly red hair, you know, the kind. And I was walking my big beast of a Newfoundland who's sitting over there in the corner and he's not barking yet. So that's very good. And I said, you know, I've often wondered what my um, similarity is to my dog. And they're like, whatever lady. And I said, I think we're both acquired tastes, <laughs> right? I I'm an acquired taste. And you know, it, and I'm okay with that. I wrote a blog post the other day. Are you lazy or are you liquid death? And liquid death is water, but their beer cans look like, I mean, their water cans look like beer. Anyway, phenomenal marketing, phenomenal marketing on a number of levels. And my, my, you know, that same presentation that I was talking about, what I just want advisors to do is get gutsy enough with their marketing and branding to be exactly who they are and be super clear of who they want to do business with. And then that's all yeah. right. Be different. It's totally okay. You don't have to appeal to everybody and the people that do align with you will be yours for life. Right. Yeah. You know, an yeah. interesting mindset is, and, and I know for myself, um, and even now, what I'm doing now is, you know, I have lots of conversations and, you know, prospective clients are obviously interviewing the advisor, but I would challenge advisors, interview your prospective clients, right? So and and don't be afraid to say, you know what, I don't think I'm a great fit. Um, I don't think I'm a great fit for you. Um, and, and I know for me, we turned out a ton of business in a lot of cases, I'd say, you know what, we're not a, we're not a great fit for you, but let me try to help you find somebody that is, yeah, usher them. I'm, happy to, I'm happy to refer you to some other folks. You probably want to have a conversation with what was always interesting was that kind of changed now that I did it on purpose, but it changed the dynamic. They'd be like, what do you mean? We're not a good fit. Like it totally changed <laughs> like the power dynamic. Um, but again, going back to, I was interviewing my prospects as much. And even today as much as they're interviewing me. And again, you can't convince the unconvincible or sell the unsellable. It's not worth it. And you are judged by the company you keep. Mm. Right. That's a great point. That's, That's what I point. told my son over and over again. <laughs> right. I'm right. Dealing with, that with my teenagers right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so really fast, we touched on something that I want to just kind of bring back so we don't forget about it, which is we, we touched on advisors, you know, websites, and we talked about kind of branding. We talked about um, mission and vision and value and purpose. And, and 
Um, as a sideline, my purpose is to amplify the heart of financial services. My job, right? My job is to get us to, frankly, love more people more often. That's my job is to let financial services. Your, that's how you expand your influence. Yep. My, my, my job is to let financial services out of this, sorry, excuse me, this fiduciary trap we've put ourselves in, but more from a funds and facts and figures. And it's totally cool to begin to, um, you know, tell stories and share, you know, stuff about your personal lives and share who you really are and what, you know, just, we have so much shame and doubt and fear around money. People need more, um, they need more hope and they need more guidance and they need more transparency. So, so. Do you think that, that vulnerability but, enhances? Oh yeah. Do you, do you see vulnerability and authenticity as a superpower and not a super weakness? I see it as a superpower. Uh, um, I see it as a superpower. Unfortunately, I feel like sometimes, and I'm sure you see this, Josh, um, people do the, like they, they do the vulnerability hack on LinkedIn to try to get eyeballs. And I, that to me, that just doesn't, if I can smell that I'm being manipulated, I won't do it. But if you look at my LinkedIn about section, I talk about why I'm in financial services and talk about my upbringing and a variety of other things. I think vulnerability begets vulnerability. The more that we can share who we are, the more um, that allows other people to share who they are. Yeah. I and think isn't it that is. really where you start to get down to kind of like, and, and that's the interesting thing. You mentioned something before, like the data and the information and the analytical, most advisors feel really comfortable with facts and figures and spreadsheets. Yep. And, um, you know, the, in, in, in the private wealth world, it's, it, it's become much more prevalent, but this converse, this kind of, con um, uh, concept of like life planning, you know, that it's, it's, it's more than just mm -hmm. the facts and the figures and the numbers, but if you can really, and, and, and people are very guarded about, you know, about money for a whole yeah. host of reasons, their upbringing, how they were raised, you know, experiences that they've had, and that shapes what their relationship with money. I have a very good friend of mine um, who, who um, uh, you know, heads up an advisory group with a successful RIA in, um, in North Carolina. And uh, his name's Tim Maurer um, and has written a couple of books, but um, he, he talks about the concept of personal finance. He said, you know, personal finance is much more personal than it is finance. But I do think yep. advisors need to, be more willing and more open and have more tools to be able to help facilitate that, that vulnerability with their clients. Because if you can build that trust to get them to begin to open up, now you can start to get somewhere um, and you can start you know, to move them. And here's the deal. I know, you know, I know me some um, wealth management advisors and they help people raise their children and bury their parents. They have, they have different relationships than I think we have in the 401k world. Why is that? Why can't, why can't we have that same relationship with participants? Now, granted, how do you scale vulnerability? That's a good one that, you know, um, that's a good question, but here I'll give you an idea. 
the next 401k meeting, when you're in there and you want to start talking about the tax benefits of saving in a 401k plan, stop right there and ask that individual to turn to the individual next to them and tell a story about somebody they knew in retirement. That would change the conversation and the energy of the whole meeting right there. Because there'd be some people who would have successful people and there'd be some people who would have sad stories and that's okay and that's good and they could share those. But it gives them some context about why they're doing this instead of just tax savings, which is not really a good reason anyway based upon you know taxes. So in, in, in um, those meetings yeah. with clients at times, one of the things I used to do because I was big on on aggressive plan design and you know, the way I would describe it was, look, we need to we need to engineer this plan in a way that the least of your people doesn't run the risk of throwing a gutter ball with their retirement savings. And I would ask mm-hmm. them, I would say, you know, and, and you could push back at times around like, you know. Um, I feel like it'll be imposing or it feels heavy handed or it feels very paternalistic or maternalistic. But one of the questions I would ask is each committee member, think about your company. Who is the least sophisticated financially in your company? Think about that person. Do you have them in your mind? You don't have to say their name. And all of them would say, yeah. And I would say, what can we do to make sure that we design this plan in a way that helps that person not throw a gutter ball. And it was powerful because I, it, it's interesting. In, in the culture that we're in right now, you know, there are issues and there are people, right? When you talk about issues that are faceless, it's very easy to paint things with a really broad brush. Then if somebody's sitting right in, in front of you from a personal level and being able to kind of connect with that, I think is, is important. You're right. You do have, um, private wealth. There are ways that, that the retirement advisory industry is more advanced, especially around embracing some behavioral economics. Yep. But I will say that from a relational engagement, um, private wealth advisors, like these, you're right. These relationships, they run deeper because you can, it's hard to scale trust. Um, and it, you know, like you said, how do you scale that to a thousand people that I'm not going to be able to have like one-on-one conversations like you and I are having. Whereas, you know, on a private wealth, if you get 50 or a hundred individuals you work with, you know, you've got You're a good. business, you know, by the way, let me just tell you something that you just, that you did, right. When you ask the committee to think about another individual, and begin to kind of picture them um, in our mind's eye and then ask them questions about that particular individual. What you, what you did was you got them out of their prefrontal cortex and you got them into their limbic brain. You took them out of their logical brain and put them into their emotional brain. I didn't know that. It's, it's brilliant because then what you're doing is you're shifting where they, um, it's almost like you're just, shifting um, um, their, where they're accessing parts in their brain, which allows them to be able to kind of feel things differently. It, yeah. 
that was just brilliant. And it, and it also kind of did another hook from the storytelling perspective, because essentially what you're doing is asking them to just um, lean into or feel into another individual and begin to tell a story in their mind about that individual success or failure as it related to their 401k plan. Anyway, very good tactic. Replay that people back up and replay what Josh just said. It's interesting too, you know what it does? Those committee members will feel less responsibility for a plan. They feel a much heavier responsibility for people. And so part of, I hear this from advisors over and over again is, you know, trying to get their committees to actually kind of own their responsibility. You know, um, one of the things we've talked about in the past, one of my philosophies is I'm a big believer in that the words we use matter because, you know, words, um, you know, uh, influence Mm -hmm. our thoughts and our thoughts shape our beliefs and ultimately our beliefs Um, words matter. The, the, word, the words matter. The words we use influence our thoughts. Our thoughts shape our beliefs and our beliefs drive our behavior. So if you can get, and this is why that capturing the hearts and minds of those committee members and to really get them to own and embrace and start to be re- accountable and responsible and recognize the decisions that they make have consequence and they have impact for people, mm-hmm. people they can see and they can imagine, people that report to them or um, that they see in the, you know, the lunchroom and, and, you know, maybe eat their lunch next to. That responsibility, if you can capture that within them, you can use that in order to get them to do the things you're recommending that they do. Well, here's the, here's the thing. Um, the next time you have a finalist presentation and you find that it's going to be across this virtual, um, you know, divide that we have, instead of beginning to introduce yourself and your team and da 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 da, da perhaps maybe you could stop for a minute and do just exactly what Josh did, which was say that, you know, before we get started today, I just want to center this conversation on the participants, because that's what this is all about. So, so just, you know, find an employee um, that you interact with on a regular basis, you know, find somebody and, you know, do what you just did, Josh, ask people to picture that individual in their mind's eye and what it does in advance of the conversation about, you know, the funds and the um, details about the plan and the et cetera, et cetera. What it still does is it helps that person um, center in the their emotional center, which is the place they make decisions from. So if you can start the meeting in that manner, then the rest of the meeting can really um, be yours to win, frankly, right? Even across this digital divide, doing something like that gets the committee all on one page and, and really gets their, gets their hearts and minds directed toward the right place. Yeah. That's great advice. That's great advice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, um, 
what does a typical engagement for you look like? Ah, well, there's a couple of different ways that people work with me. First off, I'm a speaker and a trainer. So I do a lot of work um, with uh, sales teams, with advisors, with broker dealers and, you know, a variety of other organizations um, all underneath the digital EQ kind of, you know, um, umbrella. So that could be anywhere from storytelling to LinkedIn or, you know, any component associated with emotional intelligence and digital influence is what I speak and train about. So that's the first thing. The other thing is, is that uh, a couple times a year, I do something called Operation Amplify. And that is a chance for folks to spend three days with me beginning to look at how to create a thought leadership platform and what does that mean and how do you do it and how do you execute it? Um, and, you know, and more importantly, how does it lead to more opportunities for conversation and relationships? So that's called Operation Amplify. And then people who have gone through Operation Amplify can um, be part of an ongoing mastermind group that I have going where we meet once a week and we stay focused on a variety of different things. Like for one month, um, all I did was, you know, map out what does it mean to have an active email marketing kind of campaign going. And then the other month we talked about storytelling and then the other month we're talking about sales. So it's, it's usually one of those three things, training, speaking, um, my three-day kind of Operation Amplify class that I do or doing Mastermind with me. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What, what um, you know, one of the things I like to ask guests is, yes. um, and typically it's around, you know, fiduciary, but like what's your, for, for listeners uh, and mm -hmm. for advisors specifically, what is your single best piece of advice? Them. Hmm. I think I, um, I think I already gave it, but I'll say it again, spending some time to get super clear on your purpose, like really clear on your purpose. And it's like an onion. I mean, I think the more you ask yourself that question, the more you begin to discover what it is. And then it just keeps kind of evolving and evolving and evolving. And the more, yeah, the more that an individual can get clear on their purpose, then um, the more that path becomes clear to them. I think that's, I think that's great advice. Where can, um, where can people go to connect with you? Um, if they wanna learn more about what you do, if they wanna follow you and follow your thought leadership, um, yeah. What's the best you way can, to do that? So you can um, find out about me at sherryfits.com, my brand new rebranded fabulous website, sherryfits.com. Or you can find me on Instagram. I mean, not Instagram. On Instagram, you can follow me because there'll be pictures of hearts and then paddle boarding. So there's that. Um, or my dog. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. It's usually where I um, rant a little bit. Yeah. You do a lot of LinkedIn yep. lives I've seen. I do LinkedIn what, lives. What's yes. your experience with that? I think our industry needs to be trained on how to interact with lives because lives are an opportunity for the audience to kind of participate in the conversation a little bit. And I think um, 
you know, it's funny if I put out a thing that I'm doing a webinar, I have quite a bit of people who come and participate in the webinar. But if I put out a thing that I'm doing a live, it's a little bit um, less, uh, less well attended, I should say. So I think I'm early to the game on LinkedIn lives for our industry. I think two to five years is usually how early I am. But what I'll say, Josh, is the act of doing LinkedIn lives has allowed me to just continue to up my technical game from a you know, digital perspective. So um, they're fun. They're a way for me to raise my technology bar for sure. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, Sherry, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I, I have tremendous respect for you. And, and I know the audience is going to get a ton out of uh, this. I've been um, looking forward to this for quite some time. And I just want to tell you, you know, how much I appreciate you and your willingness to come on and, and tell your story um, and, and, you know, to be vulnerable, but also to give just really, really good, actionable uh, advice. I'd encourage um, anybody listening, especially advisors, reach out to Sherry, connect with her, learn from her. Um, it'll be good for your business. Well, okay. So I get the last word here, okay. Josh, which is, is that I really am excited by what you're building. I am super excited by what you're building and the ripple effects that um, that you're creating for the the health and well wellness, right? And just the just the you know the way that you're allowing people to visualize their 401k plan in a way that they hadn't before, and the changes that will take place as a result. I just think. It's really exciting and I'm so happy for your success. And so if you haven't checked out Fiduciary Rx, then you should do that for sure as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you yeah. for that little that little uh that little commercial, Sherry. I greatly appreciate <laughs> that. So cool. um let's wrap up, but I want to tell you to have fun at Burning Man. Um, I would imagine you're probably going to have uh, some insights that come out of that, that probably uh, when you're on a higher plane or higher level, that you'll be able to kind of come back and continue to, you know, enhance the great work you're doing. And I'll make sure in the show notes and everything that I, I put how people can, uh, can connect with you. So thanks so much for being a guest. It's been a great conversation. Sweet. Thank you.